0: Hi, my name is Robert Newberry, and I'm on staff here with Renovate, which is a ministry in Fort Worth, Texas for young adults. This week, we're going to be talking about bitterness and the dangers of harboring it in our hearts versus surrendering it to God and forgiveness. We hope you enjoy our study in Obadiah.
1: Praise God. How are you guys tonight? Good. Good seeing you. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to Renovate. Uh, We love you. We love you. We are in a series right now at Renovate uh, in the Minor Prophets to Wander and to Return. And so we're in these uh, books at the end of the Old Testament. We're just kind of going through them in order that they show up in your Bible. And so tonight we will be covering and unpacking the book of Obadiah. Uh, I know it's a familiar one. Okay, yeah, I got a lot of Obadiah fans in the crowd. Uh, uh, I really want you guys to be flipping along in your Bible or, or on your iPhone. There are Bibles in all of the seats in front of you. So if you don't have your Bible, or honestly, if you'd rather hold a Bible rather than flip through it on your iPhone, man, g- grab one of those Bibles underneath the seat in front of you. Um, it is page 772 in that Bible, uh, in, the, in the blue Bibles here in the church. So grab one of those. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament, uh, it is 21 verses long. Um, where we're going tonight, just a little bit of it, is we're going um, to be, I'm going to explain Obadiah, and then um, we're going to be talking about bitterness tonight. And um, I want to start by just letting you guys know where we're going, because I want you to be prayerful tonight. Because bitterness is something that uh, everybody has uh, and yet it is so deceitful, and it is something that is really sneaky, and it is this virus so often, it is this weed so often in us, or there's this consuming fire that can, um, that can just destroy us, and so that's kind of where we're going, of what, where does that come from, and how do we get rid of that, and, uh, and we're gonna get there from Obadiah. So I thought, you know what would be cool? What if we just read the entire book of Obadiah? You know, we just say, let's read an entire book of the Bible. What would you do with that church thing? We read an entire book of the Bible. So I said yes. And then I thought, you know what would be cooler than me reading the entire book of Obadiah? Kristen Hines reading the entire book of Obadiah. So, ladies and gentlemen, one of my favorite people in the world, this is Kristen Hines. Would you like this music stand?
2: Uh, sure. There you go. Why not?
1: Kristen uh, is... A reader, guys. She can read, put all the words together, and form sentences. Uh, She also loves Jesus and loves people really well. So, Kristen, would you read for us the entire book of Obadiah? The
2: whole entire book of Obadiah. We timed it
1: out. This is going to be about three minutes, guys, so hang with us.
2: Okay. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Mm. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, in the house of Esau, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's.
1: Yes, yes, Kristen, well done. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the book of Obadiah. Got it, we're gonna get Casey back up here and sing some songs. <coughs> um, Here's what. Uh, here's what I want to do. Um Man, I, I love this. Uh, I love this. Obadiah is a hard, a hard book, right? It's 21 verses, so it's not difficult to read. Um, but it's a hard book because uh, it's weighty and heavy. Uh, and so what, what we just read here is God's condemnation, right? So for the first 14 verses, it's really God's condemnation of a nation called Edom, if you notice that, right? And he's going after Edom, and we just see him coming after him, coming after him, and then he tells why, and there's this verse 15 that then becomes this hook to say, hey, the day of the Lord is coming, and here's continually what my judgment is going to look for, look like uh, for you. What I want to do is, honestly, we could probably preach 20 different sermons out of Obadiah. What I want to do tonight uh, is really unpack the context of what is happening big picture. What's happening? Why is this condemnation coming down on Edom? What does that have to do for us? And so what I want to do right now, now that you're all Obadiah experts and you understand the text, I want to back up and I want to give you some historical context of what's happening. Okay, are you ready for this? Historical context. Edom is being wiped out by God, okay? Why, how did they get to that place? Genesis 25, Genesis 25, there are two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And one of the things that happens is Esau is this brother who, who wanders home after working this really, really hard day. Okay, I'm paraphrasing. Working this really, really hard day, walks in, and Jacob, his brother, is there and has made this incredible meal and has made this incredible soup. And Esau says, I am dying. He really feels like, man, I have worked so hard. I am parched. I am famished. I need food or I am going to die. Uh, and, and Jacob, so Esau says that, and Jacob says, okay, um, I will give you this soup for your birthright. He's the firstborn son, but if you give me your birthright, right, then I will give you the soup. And he tricks his brother when his brother is hungry, when his brother is famished, when the brother thinks he's dead. And in fact, Esau says, well, I'm going to die anyway, so what good is my birthright? What good is the fact that my father has already guaranteed this to me uh, and wealth and inheritance um, because I'm going to die anyway? And so in his weakness, Jacob takes advantage of his brother Esau, hijacks his birthright. Messed up, right? We'd all agree, like, that's pretty messed up of Jacob. Genesis 27, two chapters later. Uh, Jacob, Jacob and Esau, their dad is Isaac, right? So same kid, same family. Uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, Isaac is getting close to his deathbed. He's on his deathbed. He doesn't have much longer. His eyesight has gone. He is an old man. And God is going to tell his story through the lineage of these people, right? Abraham, Isaac, Isaac. And Jacob, right? And, and eventually we will get through the lineage of these men and we will see the Israelites and from them will become our savior, Jesus Christ. And so this is this incredibly important chain that's being built right here between Abraham, Isaac. And Isaac says, I'm going to bless my son Esau. And so he says, I'm going to bless and lay my hands on Esau, and I'm going to give him my blessing. And so Jacob and Jacob's mom decide, you know what? We want that. I want that blessing for myself. And so he puts fur on his arms and goes into his blind dad's room and receives the blessing from Isaac. Totally sharks the blessing right out from under his brother Esau that Isaac wanted to. Messed up, right? That is messed up. Jacob is one of the guys that is a protagonist in this story. And yet time and time again, we see this deceiver. Genesis 33, last, last story about Jacob and Esau I'm going to tell you. <clears throat> Jacob ends up wandering off mainly because he's, he's mad and he goes and Esau's mad and he goes and he's going to get a wife and a lot of stuff happens. He's coming back into the land after years and years has passed. He's got a wife. He's got wealth. He's got, you know, now he's got a, a kind of a tribe to himself and he's got cattle and property and he's coming back and he realizes after you know, a lot of period of time has passed, Esau's gonna kill me, right? Because of how I've sharked Esau, the way I've treated him, my brother is stronger, he is more powerful. I'm just Jacob, I'm lowly Jacob. My brother is going to kill me. And he hears that his brother and, and men are coming towards him in his camp. And so he does everything he can and he sends off people to kind of help protect him and, and to kind of say, please don't kill me and sends people to go on ahead of him. And in Genesis 33, we see this thing play out where, Esau gets to him and Jacob is humble and Jacob is oh my goodness hey how are you brother miss you man how you doing and Esau doesn't go after him he doesn't kill him he doesn't beat him up Esau hugs him shows him grace shows him forgiveness even though he has been tricked by him, even though Jacob has been awful to him, he, he meets him with this grace and this forgiveness. And, and he says, no, you don't have to be scared of me. And they have this, this kind of mending. And then, and then Jacob and Esau, they say, okay, well, let's travel on to Israel together. Let's go back to the land of our father together. And, and Esau says, come and ride with me. And Jacob says, no, no, you go ahead. I just gotta, there's some, there's some cows that are kind of slow and some pregnant women in our camp that I gotta kind of stick with and make sure they're fine. And Esau says, no, 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 come with me or I'll send some to watch no no you go ahead I'm right behind you are you sure you can just come with me and Jacob says no 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 you go ahead I'm right behind you Esau goes on ahead Jacob totally goes the other direction totally just again lies to his brother and says yeah yeah I'm coming with you we're gonna we're gonna be brothers together in this land and then just sharks his way again Jacob constantly tricks Esau I mean, all throughout the the genealogy and the story of Jacob and Esau, there is a constant theme of Jacob being a punk and deceiving and tricking and stealing from his brother. Jacob was in the wrong, okay? Jacob was in the wrong. Esau's anger would have been more than justified. It is reasonable for him to be angry, Um, maybe even righteous anger, which we'll unpack here in a little bit. Um, And so, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to fast forward. Jacob becomes a patriarch and the Israelites come from the line of Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they end up all the Israel, the Israelites end up moving to Egypt. They grow, they grow, they grow, they become in captivity in Egypt. If you've seen the movie, it's a great movie. All of them. <clears throat> then Moses comes and God's people who is from the line of Jacob, this deceiver, get freed from Egypt. Go through the Red Sea, all this crazy awesome stuff happens there in the wilderness. Now Here's what happens Numbers 20, verse 14. Check this out. It'll be up on the screen if you want to read it up there. Moses, he's hanging out with the great, 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 great grandkids and all the thousands and thousands of Israelites that are descendants from Jacob. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardships that we have met how our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through your field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Moses gets to the edge of Edom and Edom is the descendants of Esau. The book of Obadiah is written to the descendants of Esau who got constantly punked by Jacob. Moses with the descendants of Jacob are at the edge of Edom says, may we pass through But Edom said to them in verse 18, you shall not pass through lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway. And if we drink of your water and and, uh, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, you shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and with a strong force. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through the territory. So Israel turned away from him. Here's what just happened. The descendants of Esau got them back. Edom got them back, right? They finally got to shaft these guys who they had just grown so bitter from. The great, 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 great grandkids of the one who tricked our great, 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 great grandfather. We got him back. No, you can't come through our land. You are desolate. You are hungry. You are in need, Israelite. You are wandering in the wilderness. You are pleading for mercy to be able to cut through your land, and you will not. Check out this map. This is... uh, This is... uh, the Middle East in the time of the Old Testament. And so that big blob there, that orange blob there is Edom. And so what would happen is down here from the Southwest, the Israelites would have been coming out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They would have been coming out, of Edom and, uh, coming out of Egypt and they would have wanted to just cross right through Edom. They weren't allowed to. And so go to this next map. So you can see this line here. See this line, how they're coming along, coming along, coming along. And then all of a sudden they hit Edom and they have to go straight south all the way south, all the way around Edom to get to the place that God was calling them to go. <clears throat> at some point, the Edomites' justifiable anger, some, at some point in history, became bitterness. The book of Obadiah is about that. When we read these 21 verses in Obadiah, then we think, okay, great, there's a lot of condemnation from God coming down on this nation of Edom. There's no other, there's no other prophetic book written to really anyone outside of Judah and Israel, God's people. But this book, God says, nope, I'm writing a prophetic book against the Edomites. Ultimately, God judged them. He judged them for that bitterness. The book of Obadiah is God's judgment for bitterness that had been generational within these people. And, and there was more bitterness that had happened, right? They had, they had allowed Israelites to be killed during the conquest when Babylon and Assyria uh, took over uh, Israelite land. Um, they had become uh, enemies of them. It caused that, that bitterness, though, it caused their destruction. And this book is the consequence of that bitterness. Listen, the Edomites and Esau were wronged. They were wronged, they were lied to, they were abused, they were tricked, they were hurt. All of those things were valid. Their birthright was taken from them. In the course of God's story, because of Jacob and his deceit, they were thrown a curveball. even though the sovereign God is in control of all things. They were valid to be angry. And yet, Edom's inability to forgive became this bitterness that destroyed him. Here's what we're going with Obadiah. Here's what I want us to see. Here's what I've been praying for us to see this week. Our inability to forgive will become bitterness that will destroy us. Your inability to forgive will become bitterness that can destroy you. The entire book of Obadiah is a consequence of that happening in a people's life that was very valid to be upset and very valid to be angry. It is a virus, our bitterness. It is a weed, our bitterness. It is a consuming fire to us, our bitternesses. And forgiveness is what we need. And so what I wanna do is I wanna spend a little bit of time talking about the path to that forgiveness. If Obadiah is this prophetic warning for the danger of our bitterness turning into condemning sin, how do we find this path to forgive so that bitterness doesn't take root? Uh, Here's what I wanna say first, though. Does does forgiveness, as we pursue this path of forgiveness, does forgiveness mean forgetting? Does forgiveness mean I now need to trust whoever it is? Does that mean that um, someone has wronged me, someone has wronged my wife, someone has wronged a brother or a sister in Christ that I love? Does my forgiveness mean I need to forget that I was ever wrong? Does it mean that I need to all of a sudden instantly trust them? And I would say scripture is pretty clear with that. Forgiveness is one thing, but just forgetting and not having safe barriers is another. Um, Proverbs 26.1 says, A dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Proverbs 27, the very next chapter, verse 12 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. I think scripture's pretty clear um, that there's a level of foolishness. If we are sinned against, does our forgiveness look like, well, I guess I just got to keep walking into this toxic relationship, or we've been tricked, or we've been lied to. Does that mean that, okay, in order to forgive this person who lied to me, I now have to constantly trust everything they say? No, there's still plenty. I want to make sure we understand that as we're trying to unpack what real forgiveness looks like, that we say, man, we can forgive. God can teach us to get deep forgiveness, that doesn't mean we can't still have wise barriers and boundaries there. Um, okay, so here's a path to forgiveness, ready? This is, this is what I, I want for us to hear, and this is what I want for us to apply uh, tonight. We have to acknowledge where bitterness is growing. <clears throat> in order for us to have a path to forgiveness, we have to acknowledge where bitterness is growing. We need to identify it. We need to identify it in our lives. Um, there is justified anger in our life And then there's this bitterness that becomes sin. And what's the difference between justified anger and bitterness that becomes sin? What's the difference between somebody wronged me, somebody did something hurtful to my wife, somebody did something hurtful to you. There is a level of that that I should be justified in my anger. Something in the culture is happening that is an abomination or something in the culture is happening that I think is destroying lives. There should be a level of holy or righteous anger in us, but at what point does it become bitterness? And and here's the best we could tell is when we hold on to it too long. And we're going to unpack some more nuances of this, but anger, when held onto for too long, becomes bitterness. And the way that I know that is because the discerning of the Holy Spirit lets us become aware of that. Let me, let me show you a little bit. Here's what I mean. <clears throat> the book of Obadiah, right, we see this wrath from unrepentant, unidentified bitterness. Um, and it's and this is stuff that's been held on to. So let me ask, where is that growing in your life? If it's a weed, if it's a virus, if it's fire that's spreading in your life, where, where is that happening in your life? How have you been hurt? Who has hurt you? How have you been wronged in your life? The bitterness that we hold on to, when we ask those questions, when we, when we stop and we're still and we sit with the Lord and we think about the people who have hurt us, we think about the tension in our life, and we trace that back. Who's hurt you? Who do you have bitterness that you need to forgive? And, and if you say, but But Ben, you don't know how bad it was. And if you say, but wait a second, what this person did to me was really, really wrong. What happened to me was really, really hurtful. I say, yes, I believe you. I a hundred percent believe you. And that is valid. And that is real. And there is room to be justifiably angry to the people who have hurt you, to the people who have hurt ones that you love. There is good reason for that. Your ability to forgive doesn't come from reason. It comes from Jesus. So your ability then to be able to take something that in absolutely valid to feel this way, to feel betrayed, to feel hurt, we know the damage it can produce. It wiped out an entire nation because they were unwilling to forgive. It will wipe you out if you are unwilling to forgive. And if you respond to a call to forgive with, but you don't know how bad it was. All I can say is I don't. And all I can say is you're right. And all I can say is that is valid and that is reasonable. And yet we are still called to forgive and your ability to forgive doesn't come from reason. Doesn't come from how valid it is. Doesn't come from how unjustified it was that it happened to you. It comes from Jesus. You have to forgive. It will eat you away. So how do we do that? What does that mean? It comes from Jesus. How do we get there? If we identify it and we acknowledge it and we, and we sit and we're quiet and we say, is there bitterness? Lord, show me who is that bitterness towards who has hurt me and we're quiet before the Lord and he reveals it great. Now we we we're to forgive. How do we do it? We go to the well. We go to the well, and here's what I mean by that. Here's why I say it that way. I, I want you to remember that picture of going to a well. Um, it's not about talking yourself into forgiveness because it's the right thing to do. Uh, it's not about mustering up forgiveness in and of yourself because it's the right thing to do that doesn't last. It doesn't last in my life. Okay, I'm supposed to be forgiving. I just need to grip my teeth, and the right reaction is to forgive, so I'm just gonna forgive. <clears throat> it doesn't come for me mustering up within myself some amount of goodness to be able to forgive. It doesn't come from me rationalizing it. You have got to tap into the source of forgiveness and that's Jesus. Look at Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. We'll throw it up on the screen for you if that's easier. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says this. Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. See here, there is a command to forgive, and in the very same verse as that command, forgiving one another, there is also the source and the strength for which I am able to obey that command. Forgiving one another as God in Christ commanded you, as he has forgiven me. So I'm commanded to forgive, and yet at the same time, I'm also told the source for my forgiveness is As God in Christ forgave me. That's what my forgiveness should look like. That's where it should come from. Colossians 3.3. Let's go to the well. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Look at this. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. My ability to forgive comes from the Lord forgiving me. My ability to forgive somebody that doesn't deserve to be forgiven comes from how the Lord has forgiven me. That is the well. That's the well I have to go to if I'm going to forgive somebody. Because forgiveness doesn't make sense. And I can't reason myself into forgiveness. And I can't muster enough just goodness to have any sort of forgiveness that will last or stick or penetrate I've got to go to the well, and that is how Jesus has forgiven me. Look at Psalm 103:10. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Our God doesn't deal with, me. He doesn't deal with me according to what I deserve, my sins and my iniquities. He doesn't deal with me that way. He is gracious to me. I cannot forgive if I am not experiencing Jesus' grace in my life. Wherever you are, right? whatever, whatever you have done, God says, he says, come and lay down and surrender your life. No matter what you have done in your life, God, the God of the universe says, come and lay down and surrender your life to me, and I will heal what is broken in you. I will make new what is old in you. I will restore all of, I will cover all of your filthiness. I will not hold your sin and your iniquity against you. That is the grace of God. No matter what you have done, no matter what you have done, the God of the universe says, yes, and I will not hold that against you. Come and surrender to me. That's the grace of God. Do I understand the grace of God in my life? Do I understand what I deserve and what I received because of Christ? His righteousness a relationship with the God of the universe that I can stand and worship and approach personally. He says, I will make you new. From that beautiful gospel, from that well of grace that I have been filled with, this well of grace that I have been filled with, from that place, I begin to forgive others. Go to the well of Jesus. Friends, go to the well of Jesus. Understand his grace and his forgiveness for you, and that will fill your well to be able to forgive others. If, if bitterness is a virus, that is the antidote. If bitterness is a weed, this is what kills it the grace of Jesus. If, if bitterness is a fire, it is from this that that is quenched. And, and if you look at your life and you look I want to be so sensitive here because I, I recognize me. I got brothers and sisters in this room who to say, find forgiveness and, and show forgiveness. I don't take that lightly. This isn't a Sunday school message that we can just check off a box for some of us because the hurt and the pain is that valid and that deep and that scarring. And so if you look at your, you look at your bitterness and you say, I don't think there is enough water in my well. To quench that because of what's been done to me and what's happened to me, and because of the bitterness that I've had. And you think, I don't think I have enough water in my well. That to you, I say, man, maybe God wants to take you deeper into His grace. Maybe God wants to dig your well deeper. Maybe God wants for you to experience a grace that. He's so, so deep because I believe he wants to set you free from bitterness. And I believe he will pave the way for that. And I believe that that will not be easy, but he will meet us there. As we say, there is not enough water in this well to quench that. And he says, then dig with me. Let me show you how much I love you. Just sit in my grace and experience that. Be filled with that. So if you're here tonight and you think, I don't see how that is possible. What I want you to hear is God wants you to sit in the bottom of that well, and he wants to keep digging with you. He wants to keep digging into the depth of how he loves you. Keep digging into the depth of how he has loved and saved and redeemed you. We've got to acknowledge it. We've got to go to the well in order to forgive, and we've got to stay vigilant with our hearts. We gotta stay vigilant with our hearts, and um, this is my last point. Um, I I wanna be real careful here, and I wanna kinda give a caveat. Um, I think when we talk about forgiveness, I think so often a next step may be in your life, I need to go to this person. The Lord's convicting me of some bitterness here that I've got towards somebody, and I need to go to them, and that is very possibly a very obedient step. Matthew 18 makes it pretty clear if somebody has sinned against you, you need to go to them and talk to them. There's other circumstances that, that I would say um, are going to take a little more discerning than that. There's relationships in our life that maybe we don't get the ability to go to them and ask for forgiveness. Because they're not around or they're not alive anymore. Relationships that we don't have access to. Or maybe very possibly because it's not a relation, it's not a conversation that you need to run into. Uh, and that's going to take a lot of wisdom and that's going to take some wise counsel. And so... I would want you, if you're in that gray area of, I think there's some major bitterness and I need to find some forgiveness, finding somebody that understands the grace of Jesus, the counsel to say, at what point do I need to approach this person? And what does that look like? And really seek wisdom on that. It's not, a, it's not as necessarily a cookie cutter solution there. Um, and because I, I want you to know that because it's not about a conversation. Forgiveness isn't about getting to a place where then you can have a conversation and check a box. It's not a transaction that you're being encouraged to do. It is about a position of your heart, to have your heart in a position to where you can say, "I am pursuing forgiveness with this person. I, am for, I forgive this person, this relationship, this circumstance, that there is forgiveness here." And so I don't want to turn it into a transactional conversation that everyone needs to go out and check that box, but instead, can we get to a place in a position of our heart? In order to do that, we've got to stay vigilant with our heart. We've got to stay vigilant. Because unfortunately, it is probably not a one time thing. My bitterness in my life, for people who've hurt me, uh, I think more so, honestly, for people who've hurt my wife, and when bitterness creeps up, and when by the grace of God and His Spirit and His grace wash over me, to and then and only then allow me to, from that well, forgive someone else who hurt me or hurt my wife in those seasons, that's amazing. Unfortunately for me, it doesn't just seem like a one-time thing and I have to stay vigilant because I might forgive and genuinely forgive and then all of a sudden wake up five days later and realize, wait a second, bitterness is sinking its roots in again. Like a weed, it's coming back. I've gotta stay vigilant with it. I've gotta stay vigilant, I've gotta continue to identify So we acknowledge it in our life and we go to Jesus with it and we go to the well and we seek that forgiveness. And then we repeat and we acknowledge it and then we go to Jesus and then we repeat and then we acknowledge it and then we go to Jesus and then we repeat. Renovate, we're praying for you. We are praying for you. We love you. My hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit would help you acknowledge and identify Some things that I think if we see anything from the book of Obadiah, see the big picture, that this was an entire book written to a people that were being wiped out because they were not able to let go of bitterness. God tonight says, let go. And in order to do that, come back to me, Jesus. He should be the king of our life. He should be the one who heals our heart. Let me pray over you. Father, thank you. Thank you for how you love. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that it is in in knowing Jesus and experiencing Jesus' grace over us and only then that's what sets us free. That's what allows us to experience bitterness. God, I'm so thankful that it's not about me being good enough or strong enough or having the willpower to forgive but instead would my brothers and sisters in this room, uh, would they see you tonight in a deep way? Would you dig our well a little deeper and how we see the gospel? That a bunch of sinners had a God who loved us and died for us. That our Jesus in a garden before he was executed for us, wept and was anxious because he knew what he was carrying for us and that he did not deserve that, we did. And that wasn't justified and that wasn't right. That's what I deserved, not him, and yet, Lord, he went willingly to the cross for us. And God, that gospel, would we see that tonight? Would maybe those who have never put their faith in you, those who have never seen that kind of grace, would they see that in a new and fresh way For those who have been walking with you, would you deepen our appreciation for how you love and through your power and through your spirit, through your power and through your spirit, would you bring forgiveness and cure the bitterness in us all for your glory. Father, we love you, we love you, we love you, and we love you because you first loved us. You are the king of our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.
0: Man, what a challenging call to lay down the bitterness in our lives. Because it's not easy. Each one of us has gone through situations in our life where we feel like we are justified to be bitter. We feel like the world has treated us poorly. Friends or family have wronged us. And so we want to protect ourselves by forming this bitter heart towards everyone else because we feel like that's what they've earned. But what if our God had treated us like we deserved? What if our God had seen us in our sin and our brokenness, and instead of being gracious, He treated us justly, and He chose to cast us out of relationship with Him forever, because it's what we deserved. But we know that's not His heart, and that's not what happened. Instead, he sent his son, his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross, to pay for our sins so that we might have relationship with him. And so for us now as believers, we have the opportunity and the joy to get to lay down our bitterness in forgiveness because we know that we have been forgiven from so much more than anyone could ever do to us. And so our call is to join our God in forgiving again and again and again to those around us so that we can embody the love that jesus showed us and if you need any help with that i beg you please reach out reach us at renovateftw.org or at renovateftw on social media and we would love to get coffee with you and talk through just what's going on in your life and how we can help you get to a place where you can join god and forgiving others But that's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoy, and we'll see you next week.